you got to love that abrupt intro ending. Welcome in to the JohnCast podcast. This is episode number 57, and it's brought to you, as always, by Ian's Pizza. Ian's Pizza in Madison has three locations. They've also got a location in Milwaukee, Denver, and Seattle, and they've got the classic macaroni and cheese pizza. And if you've never had that, how dare you? Just go to Ian's and go try it, and you'll love it, and you'll understand, and you'll get it, and then you'll see all the other types of slices they have always changing out slices and we're working on our next promotion so keep an eye out for that you can always sign up for i've got a newsletter at johncastpodcast.com i'm not going to spam you with because i know how it's like i know what it's like because i have i think we all have that account where we maybe send our subscriptions to and then that account at least maybe i'm just speaking for myself then that account gets out of hand and you've got like 10,000, 20,000 unopened emails. Maybe that might be me, um, but I'm not going to spam you. My point is, so you can sign up for the newsletter at johncastpodcast.com and never get left out of all the cool things that we're doing, like giving away AmFam tickets to uh, the American Family Insurance Championship this week. And to win that, you go to my Twitter at John Audius Radio. That's J-O-N-A-R-I-A-S Radio and just retweet. I got a tweet out there. It says win tickets to retweet and you can retweet it and I'll give you a pair of tickets if I choose you for the uh, AmFam Championship pair of tickets to the AmFam June 10th through the 12th at University Ridge Golf Course in Madison. Also brought to you by me and Julio. Had the podcast party out at me and Julio a couple weeks ago with Dana Redke, and that was a blast. And I got a little recap online. You can check it out at johncastpodcast.com. But go head out to me and Julio if you're looking for a change of pace. They've got great food specials every single month. I get the Bang Bang Shrimp and or Bang Bang Chicken Tacos. They're fantastic, plus the margaritas. Just $4 on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And don't forget about wine Wednesdays as well. And uh, johncastpodcast.com if you want to pick up a cool t-shirt. Okay, enough of that. Let's get into today's episode. And today's guest is a former volleyball player at Northwestern. Sorry, Badger fans. I'm wearing the Badger stuff today. That's okay. We won't hold it against her. Now serves as an analyst for volleyball on the Big Ten Network. And she handled the hometown of Yulia Ojo of Wisconsin so well when she said it on a broadcast um this past season on the big 10 network welcome emily eman to the program emily how are you i'm doing well excited to be here you were talking about macaroni pizza and i was like well next time i'm in madison come on i gotta get there you've never had the macaroni and cheese at ian's i've never had it and i need to well it's fun every time i go to travel now for work or wherever i feel like i'm listing a bunch of different food places and like this is helpful because now next time i'm in madison hands down no question yeah. Um, yeah. You definitely have to check out three locations. Like I said, you know, you ever watch the, uh, the big tent, the campus eats show there on the, on the network you work mm -hmm. for. Yeah. I love that show. Office, it's just like looping and I'm just like salivating the entire time. <laughs> That's such an awesome show because I start thinking like, okay, next time in, I'm in Evanston. Next time I'm in West Lafayette, I got to go try out this mm -hmm. place or whatever. It's a mm -hmm. fantastic show. It's fun. It's fun. How, how much, how much do you get to travel? Cause I know sometimes big 10 network throws you in the, in the studio and then they put the monitor in front of you which is kind of the way things are going we can talk about that a little bit later but how much do you get to travel around the big 10 yeah i mean it's it's been fun i mean during the volleyball season i ended up calling about 18 games and i think five or six of them were on site so it was like about a third um so i get to travel occasionally it really depends really depends on the event so yeah for volleyball like you said a lot of the games that we're calling are from the little studios inside um, our office in downtown Chicago, but sometimes we get to go on site. So it really depends on the game, how big the game is. Um, if it's going to have a big crowd, they like us to be there. So a lot of those bigger games are um, on site. Mm -hmm. And then 
other than that, I mean, I, I traveled a little bit for spring football. I went to Purdue and Illinois. This weekend, I'm going to East Hartford, Connecticut. Um, for football last fall, I went to the game at Wrigley, which was literally a mile from me. So I don't even consider that traveling. Um, got to go to Miami for Michigan's um, college football semifinal. Got to, you know, Columbus for volleyball. It, it, like, it really depends. Went to Lincoln for wrestling. Indy Big Ten Championships for um, basketball. So, like, kind of all over the place. But, again, it really depends on the season and what's what's really going on. So March is a busy month. And then the fall for me is pretty crazy. Yeah, I like um, that you get to go as many places as you do because I think there's something about being there, about mm -hmm. being in the environment, about seeing what's in front of you and talking to people face-to-face -face that can really make the difference in the way you cover a sport and the intimacy you get with a sport. Um, how, how do you feel about calling games in a studio? Because during 2020, that's how you know everybody did it. Even me on the radio side, I would sit in front of a, of a TV monitor and I'm going to be honest, it's pretty nice to drive home 20 minutes when you know that the team that had you been covering it uh, in East Lansing or whatever would not even be on the plane yet, not even in the plane, not even waiting for the plane to take off. And I'm already home in my pajamas, ready for bed or whatnot. Um, how do you how do you like that aspect of it? Yeah, I mean, like you said, there is, it's kind of bittersweet. There's a really nice convenience factor of, for me, driving 10 minutes down to our studio, not having to do the day and a half of travel to get there early, go to practices in the morning and do all of that. But at the same time, it's so nice being there. You get the feel of the crowd, especially for some of those massive games. Like anytime you go to a Wisconsin game and you're calling it on site, anytime you're at Nebraska, some of these massive stadiums, it makes a difference for how you're calling the game. I feel like for the big games that I do that have big crowds where I'm in the studio in Chicago, you're in like a small little box. You know, you can't get a sense of the crowd. You kind of, it's funny also, I, I feel like I'm talking really quietly. Sometimes when I listen back and I know that the crowd's going really loud because they're pumping in the crowd noise, but we're talking at a normal level. So it sounds like maybe we're not in tune with what's happening in the crowd, but that's because we don't know. Um, so that's always interesting. And again, sometimes it's hard to tell as a viewer, you probably have no idea whether we're there or not. It, it's more so because I've been doing this for a little bit, you kind of, you can listen back and, and really realize it. But again, I mean, it's so convenient to drive down to the Chicago studio and call a game. But again, nothing beats being on site. It's so nice. It's so fun feeling the atmosphere, even just talking like eye to eye to the coaches, to the players, you know, they get more comfortable around you and they can actually physically see you. Um, they'll probably tell you a little bit more, which is really helpful in a broadcast. And yeah, nothing, nothing really beats it. But, you know, at the same time, because the Chicago studios exist, we're able to call a lot more games. There's no way I'd be able to call a Wednesday, Friday, Saturday while I'm traveling. You know, I'm able to do that because of the convenience of driving down 20 minutes to our Chicago studio. I think you're muted. <laughs> My bad. Uh, I think you're right. I was saying, I think you're right. Yeah. If there's pros and cons of that, um, doing that on site as opposed mm -hmm. to being remote, but it's, you know, I can see the pros of being remote. I can see like, like you just said, the, the amount of games you can, you can get in is, is a lot more than you could do if you actually had to physically be there. Now you, what you said was interesting too. You said, sometimes you think you're talking a little bit quiet mm -hmm. and, um, I didn't, I did not notice that when I did it on the radio, um, because, you know, I had my headphones on I, and you, you talk about the crowd, you could hear the crowd, but that's, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that because arena, 
the, the noise is amplified and you actually, you have to speak louder. And sometimes you got to find that right balance. So you're not screaming, but you're not quiet talking either. Yeah. And there's, it's funny there too. There's some games where we know that it's really loud. And so we're like really trying to sound like we're there and be loud. Like I remember um, one time at, it was for a Nebraska game. We like assumed the crowd was really loud at one point. So we're like yelling and the crowd was not like that. Like they had kind of just, like just finished cheering and it sounded really weird on the broadcast when I listened back and I was like, there's, there's just no winning here. Yeah. But that's the thing too, that I think, like you said, is spot on too. There are things I bet as broadcasters that we notice and cause we go listen back the person who watched the game, they don't, they go back. Okay. Now, now I'm going to rewind it and watch mm -hmm. it again and focus just on what the announcers are saying. But I think that sometimes that's just us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we pick up on the smallest little things, whether it's like a little word I'm saying or whatever. And again, that's not something that a normal viewer is going to pick up. But for me, it's like, oh, why did I say that again? Or why do I sound like that? Why did I say that? Um, yeah. Again, the viewer, they have no idea. They don't notice. It's such like a nitpicky, the perfectionism in our brains. Yes. Yes. Um, so they've got the BTN Digital Studios. I see on your uh, social media, you've been posting a lot of pictures of that. Tell me what's going on there. What's that? Yeah, so it's funny. In the last year, we've ramped up our digital coverage tenfold. Um, it's funny. I, in college, I actually interned at Big Ten Network before my senior year. So I interned in the new, it was called New Media at the time because digital was so new for networks, for teams, for all of that. Um, I interned at the New Media, in the New Media department, and we have maybe had, I want to say like maybe seven or eight people on staff in the digital department. And now it's like just completely blown up even in the last three years or so. I mean, last August, I was hired as their first ever digital host. So essentially what I do is we have sports specific people. So we have a football guy, a men's basketball guy, wrestling, and then me for volleyball. And along with that, I also do the general digital hosting. So I do a lot for football, a lot for uh, men's basketball, of course, a lot for volleyball and then our other sports as well. But yeah, they just opened a digital studio that's been in the works for, for literally years. Like they've been designing this place for so, so long. They had one up and running right before the pandemic hit where they were really trying to ramp up the digital efforts. Um, and then of course, pandemic happened, everything, you know, went in the toilet. So it didn't matter. Yeah. So they revamped this entire thing. The studio is so cool. It looks like um, it's like a mini TV studio, but a lot more um, relaxed, more comfortable, a lot more fun. We have like a, a fun sort of shorter desk with lockers on the side. I got to like design my own. I threw a bunch of Northwestern stuff in there, um, yes. an Illinois jersey that they made me at my spring football game. And it is just, it's been so cool to watch Big Ten Network's digital and social media presence just really grow over the last few years. And for me, it's been such an honor to be a part of it and thinking about, you know, even just where we were a year ago and thinking about all the things that we wanted to do during the school year and now having done some of those things, it has been so fun to really just watch it grow. And, and now having this digital studio, it really shows how much effort and, you know, just how, how many resources that we're putting into the digital space, because it is so important in sports media right now. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And I've seen some of the stuff you've been doing uh, for that. It's fantastic. Um, you also just got back from the NBA Combine. Tell me what that was like, talking to all the draft prospects out of the conference. 
Yeah, it was it was fun. I mean, that was my first that was my first NBA combine I've ever been to. It was it was funny. We going into it kind of had no idea what to expect. You know, they had had these a few years ago, but this was the first real one that's happened since COVID. So in yeah. terms of media availability and just access that we had, we weren't sure how it was going to be. We were hoping it was the same as it was before the pandemic hit, but no one really had a clue. And <clears throat> again, for me, this is my first one. So I was essentially hired uh, by the network as a reporter. So I was going in and trying to get as many interviews and group sound and just sound in general as I could from these players. So we had 12 players initially um, be invited to the combine and take part in it. One of them, Trace Jackson Davis from Indiana, ended up dropping out and going back to school. But um, yeah, so I got to interview, I think I did five one-on-one -on -one interviews with um, some of the players, some of the prospects. And mm -hmm. it was a whirlwind. I mean, it was, it was really, really fun. I, I didn't know how these players would be. I thought they would be a little bit guarded, um, especially some of the younger ones, maybe, you know, someone like Max Christie or Malachi Branham. I mean, they, they're literally 19 years old. Like it was wild for me interviewing someone that's going professional that was younger than me. Like I haven't had that experience yet. Um, and that felt a little bit crazy, but it was, it was fun to hear what they had to say. All these guys seemed super confident. A lot of them were so humbled, had really cool stories. Um, and like, it was just, it was so fun talking to them. I, I learned a lot about them just from our short conversations and obviously research and all that, but just watching them there and seeing how excited they were for a dream to come true that they've had since they were three years old, you know, since the first time yeah. they turned on the TV and watched LeBron or whoever play in the NBA, like this is something they've been aspiring to do their entire lives. And so watching that slowly unfold was like, it was, it was honestly, it was such a blessing to just talk to them and, and hear some of their stories. Yeah. What did Johnny Davis have to say for all our Badger fans listening <laughs> to this one? What'd you, what'd you hear from Johnny? Johnny was excited. Um, I mean, he, he said he was receiving good feedback. He didn't get like super into it. Um, he, he's kind of a, to me, he seemed a little bit soft-spoken. He was one of the guys that I, I didn't get a one-on-one -on -one with because of course, you know, like Big Ten Player of the Year, the media was just hounding him the entire time. But I mean, it was fun. It was fun to see him there. He was really excited to represent Wisconsin in that matter. I mean, they, they haven't had a draft or a player drafted since I think 2015. So he'll probably be the first in seven years. And and that's a really big deal. It was a big deal for him. He was really excited to represent Wisconsin in that way. Um, you know, his dad who played in the NBA, NBA for well over a decade had been helping him a lot and was giving him um, a lot of good advice just going through the process, which was um, exciting to hear. But he seemed, he seemed super confident as, as like a lot of the guys did. But um, yeah, it was really cool hearing Hearing him speak again, there was so much media around him because he's such a you know a big name, um, especially in the Big Ten. So again, it, it was in Chicago, so a lot of the Chicago media just naturally covers the Big Ten a little bit more. Right. And yeah, he was he was so gracious with everyone. Um, he's a good guy, really good yeah. guy all around. We're all we're all rooting for him. That's that's amazing. You know, you mentioned something too uh, a couple answers ago about how you talk to a nineteen year old and like this is the first time you kind of realize people are are younger than you, yeah. guess what? That doesn't stop. Like <laughs> there are times when I watch like the NBA now and I'm thinking, oh man, like, this, and I don't realize like the age thing. It's, it's kind of weird, but even being 19 and trying to get into the league, that's, that's something that's so common nowadays, but it's so crazy to think about when you just step back and think about it. Yeah. I mean, 
I think about, you know, when I was 19, you think about how you have all the answers and you're so mature and you can, you know, handle a conversation with the media. But it was interesting for a lot of the younger guys we talked to, at least I noticed they just, I don't want to say they seemed immature, but like they definitely had different kinds of answers than some of the more polished and some of the older guys. Mm-hmm. Someone like um, Trevion Williams from Purdue who had been there for, I believe, four seasons. Like he was he had very good answers for the media, but also could show his personality in it. it. It felt like a lot of the younger guys kind of had these like cookie cutter answers, but were yeah. um, still kind of feeling out how everything worked, which was kind of funny to to see. But yeah, I mean, you're 19 and you're headed into this league. Like you got a lot of growing to do. You know, you're, you're very good players in the draft, especially um, from the Big Ten. But yeah, a lot of those freshmen, it's like how – just physically, you know, how, how do you really feel that you match up with them? Yeah. I mean, cause I mean, you being a former athlete, can you imagine at 19 years old trying to play overseas in a, in a league in volleyball and just the level of competition and just everything? Absolutely not. I mean, even just from the little experience I had with professional volleyball, which was covering it um, for athletes unlimited watching some of our rookies come in who were the best at their game. You know, someone like Leah Edmond from Kentucky. I remember her freshman year, um, along with Taylor Morgan. It's like they are the best in their graduating class. They're some of the best athletes out there. But you throw them into a professional setting, the game is different. You know, these players have been playing for decades. They just, they have physically, of course, they're a little bit more developed um, just because they're older. But I think also it's like the mental side of the game and being smart with you know hitting your shots whatever you know whatever sport you're in it's just the mental side is so important in professional athletes because yes you you can come in physically at a great level but it's not like you're going to skyrocket in your abilities physically like you're not automatically just going to become an incredible shooter an incredible shot selector like it's that mental side of the game and and being smart with your game that changes and i think that for me is where when rookies come in no matter if they're 19 or 23 that side of the game just has so much more developing to do mm, yeah did you have a favorite athlete growing up who, who was your favorite athlete Good question. I, um, yeah, growing up, I, I was into, yeah, off the top of my head, Lolo Jones. I absolutely okay. loved her. I was a big track athlete growing up, and, and I think her story was just really cool to me. You know, she, I believe it was the, I want to say 2012 Olympics. It might have been 2008. Um, she was supposed to win, came in, wanted, I was supposed to get first, and tripped on a hurdle and went down. And I think her coming back to me was really inspiring. And I loved everything she stood for. I think she's also just really funny. So I really liked her in media press conferences. Um, but yeah, she was someone that I definitely looked up to. And then, I mean, I had I had a lot of athletes in my family. My my uncle was um, a basketball player and coach at Indiana University. And he was someone I always um, looked up to a lot. And I, I mean, I grew up going to, going to the gym, going to the basketball court. We used to run around assembly hall with him. Um, wow. And it was just, it was a lot of those Indiana athletes, you know, whatever sport it may be. And that was something I, I just grew up around sports in general. So for me, it was a lot of college athletes that I just had had watched, whether I like really knew their name or was obsessed with them, whatever it may be. Like we were just, we were around IU athletics all the time. Like I was growing up going to so many IU volleyball games. They had, I mean, they're only really great stretch was when I was um, younger and it was so so much fun to watch that team do well and then basketball team of course has 
you know, historically always been really great. So it was fun watching those athletes come through. But I think that's kind of why I, I pulled to collegiate athletes a little bit more, I think, because that's kind of what I grew up around and what I grew up loving. Yeah. Assembly Hall, the worst. I don't know. I would just say that just the weirdest angle at the very top. Have you ever gone to the very top? I've been to the top. It's scary at the top. You it feel is. like if you trip, you're going to tumble down and end up mid-court. It is, it is wild up there. One, it's super dark. Like you can't see anything. There's no okay. lights up there. And then if you're at the top, it is, I want to, it's not a 90 degree incline, but it's like, you feel like if you trip, you're genuinely going to take a tumble down. Yeah. It feels weird. I decided to do it uh, a couple of years ago at a basketball practice that screw it. I'm going up there. I've never done it. And I, I found my way up there and I'm like, this is, it's like, you're looking down and everything's it's weird. It is a weird, weird. It feel like, like if, um, like they, if there were like requirements to the, the slope of how you're supposed to build an arena, I feel like they went right to the, right to the edge of what you're allowed to do. <laughs> right to the edge or they set the slope after it was made and was like ah maybe we should fix this a little bit but yeah i remember kind of like i was saying i mean we used to we used to play hide and seek in assembly hall it was like every wednesday when when my uncle was coaching and it was like all my cousins and like we had it wasn't off limits but like everybody knew not to go to that upper deck because it was like <laughs> if one of us gets hurt it's done we're done we're never going to be able to play hide and seek anymore when we just like that was a place that we avoided at all costs. That's hilarious. I could totally see kids talking about that. Like, like, just don't go up there or else we cannot do this anymore. Yeah, maybe we should have said like the upper deck is haunted rather than, oh, you can get hurt because of course that makes you want to go to the upper deck more when you're right. you know eight years old. Exactly. Um, so when did you know you being around basketball and, and, and whatnot, when did you know that you wanted to play volleyball? Yeah, my, um, so it was actually when my uncle was coaching, my cousin, they were living in Bloomington for, I think it was about two years or so. And she was a year older than me. Her, her name is Laura. And Laura always, play, always played volleyball. She was really good at it. Um, I thought she was like the coolest person ever. We were essentially like sisters. And of course, because Laura was doing it, I was like, how can I not play this sport? This looks so fun. Um, I grew up playing, you know, pretty much every sport possible. I was a gymnast for about 10 years, um, tried, tried everything. And then in fourth grade, I remember the first time I picked up a volleyball, we were outside in um, my aunt and uncle's backyard. I was with Laura and she just threw a volleyball up to me and was like, all right, let's see what you can do. And I'm like nine at the time. So of course, like you don't think anything's going to happen. I'll probably miss the ball. She throws it up and I remember hitting it and it hit her in the stomach and knocked the wind out of her. And she was like on the ground crying. And like, for me, I was like, okay, I'm pretty good at this. Like I was, I felt bad for it because she was hurt, but I was like, you know what? I think that's good. This could be my sport. Um, so I ended up, I quit gymnastics. Um, I was in like competitive cheer at the time. I quit cheer and I pretty much stuck to gymnastics and track, like all throughout um, middle school and high school. And it was kind of then that I knew that I, I loved it. After that, I joined a club team. It was called Hoosierland at the time. It was our um, just local club, very small. Um, and it was just, it, it grabbed my heart instantly. Like I just absolutely loved the sport. I was like an eight-year-old playing on a 12s team because like everyone sucks back then. So <laughs> that's not to say I was good. It's just to say that like everyone was bad. Um, and I remember like, I just, I absolutely loved it. It was something... One that like I, you know, when you're little and you're decent at something, it's fun. So like I I thought it was fun because I was decent at it. And then it was just a way to hang out with my friends, essentially. Like my best friends were on my team. And that was the most fun part for me, you know, traveling with them, 
whether it was school ball or club, it was just, it was fun being around all of them. And then I, I will say probably when I was a freshman, I got like a little more competitive with it. You know, I, I was always on club teams and stuff, but that's when I kind of realized, okay, this is something that I could do a little bit longer. Like I, that's kind of when I started thinking about playing in college and having those conversations. Um, when I got to high school, I had a pretty intense high school coach who is one of my favorite coaches of all time. I still talk to him all the time, but yeah, he was kind of the one that really set in my brain that this is something that I, I could definitely do for, you know, at least the next four years or so after high school. Yeah. That's a pretty cool story. So you talked about the joy uh, and how fun it was to, to, to play volleyball and to be around volleyball. So how can, when I say we, I'm not sure exactly who I'm talking about, but how can we make the game of volleyball more popular for the rest of of the sports fans in the country to le to kind of realize like what an amazing uh, game that they're missing out on? How, how do yeah. we get that bigger? I know Coach Sheffield at Wisconsin has been, um, you know, advocating for uh, more television, especially during the NCAA tournament. You know, he wants he wants the same coverage basically as women's basketball yeah. uh, in their tournament. So. So how do we do that? Because 1.2 million watched watched the championship, watched Wisconsin and Nebraska all time yeah. high. Yeah, I mean the numbers speak for themselves. When you put it on TV, people watch. That's one of the reasons why volleyball is one of the most watched sports at Big Ten Network. You know, football, basketball, volleyball. It's right there. Um, I think the number one way to do it. I, I can't echo Coach Sheffield, Coach Cook over at Nebraska enough. Like when we put it on TV, people watch. Um, the numbers, like I said, speak for themselves. It's one of the fastest growing high school sports. People are playing it. People want to watch it. Um, I think, I mean, I, I can really only speak for Big Ten Network, but I think we do a really good job of pushing our coverage. And we've like we've really tried to get more games on TV. Um, last year we had a record setting. I think it was like 48 games broadcast. And and that number is going to continue to climb. You know, we were trying to do a lot more coverage around it, but it's it is those big games that. I think we can do a better job as a whole, whatever network that is, whether that's ESPN, SEC, ACC, Longhorn Network, whatever it is, there just needs to be more games on. They need to be on channels that, you know, don't have numbers by them. So for example, you know, like the ESPN threes and the U's and the two, whatever, like we need these games on prime time um, slots because they like they, the numbers do speak for themselves. They do such a good job of coverage when it is on. It's like, we, we just got to do it more. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's tough. Like you're saying, we we want to have or to be in a place where volleyball is similar to women's basketball, but that's really tough because we don't have a male equivalent sport. It's very easy for women's basketball to point to men's basketball and say, here are the very clear discrepancies. We don't have that in volleyball. The only thing we have is men's volleyball, which does not get enough coverage as it is. And they are very behind in terms of TV coverage and just media coverage in general. So it's really hard for women's volleyball to point a finger and be like, hey, we're lagging in these areas because there's nothing to compare it to. The only thing you can maybe compare it to would be men's basketball or football, but it's just nowhere near the same size. They don't bring in as much revenue. So it's really tough to point and say, here are the clear discrepancies in the way that you can with men's and women's basketball. Um, but I think it just starts from... I think, you know, I, I really do think it starts from the ground up, you know, people like us talking about the sport, posting about the sport, whether that's Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be, just coverage in general. I think at Big Ten Network, it's been one of my goals to really ramp up that volleyball coverage, along with a bunch of other people um, at the company. But we're really trying to put 
more of an emphasis on the sport. Cause like, again, when I post something about volleyball on, or make a video, whatever it is on Twitter, like people engage, people watch it in the same way that they do with our men's basketball stuff. Like the, the audience for volleyball, it's so there. It's so there. You go to some of these arenas and it's so clear that it is there. And I think until we get to a point where we're putting more of an emphasis on it in terms of TV coverage and promoting that coverage, you know, if you're going to have volleyball on an ESPN two time slot or whatever that may be, you got to promote it. You got to tell people that it's there. Otherwise, someone's going to flip through the channels and say, why is this volleyball game on? I want to go watch, you know, X, Y, Z. We have to be at a point where we're putting it on TV and then we're promoting that coverage even more in other avenues. Now, I, I'm probably biased because I've been around the game of volleyball since 2008 and I know how fun it is and, and everything about it. But I, I think about it and I, I don't remember exactly what was on network television during the uh, volleyball championships. Um, but I, I, I think it's MLS. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. Anyway, my point is this. I don't think networks realize that a college volleyball match would draw. I don't, I don't, I don't understand how they don't understand. Like yes. if you put that on a network time slot, how many families, how many people across the entire country would flip to ABC? If we're talking about ESPN and the connection there and see instead of whatever sport they may want to showcase, which is usually a men's sport. Um, how many people would stop and say, what's this? And they would watch. And you know why I know they would watch because when you sit down and watch a volleyball match, you get drawn into it because it's so fast paced. It's so exciting. And pretty soon, you know, they take a commercial break. You're like, okay, I'm going to settle in. This is pretty exciting. Yeah. You see that last play. Like I don't understand how they don't understand how many people would stop and watch and that the, the fan base that they could grow from that. If they mm -hmm. put it on, for example, and, and this is my, you know, aside from getting all the equal coverage as a women's basketball tournament, having the volleyball tournament have equal, uh, you know, television coverage, just how much people on a network, just across the nation would be watching volleyball. I don't, do you see that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Did yeah. I explain that well enough? Absolutely. And I think it's unique in that you touched on it, but being a fast paced sport, it's something that it's not like between points. You can like go grab a sip of water or go to the bathroom. Like you literally, you are locked in when you're watching and it's fun. It's not mm -hmm. like, you know, a point happens and then there's a minute, two minutes go by and then, okay, another point, how it is in football, like you don't have breaks like that. Like there it's point, 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 especially if you get teams that play at a fast pace and are serving quickly. It's like, you don't have time to really do anything in between points. You barely have time to like speak between points, you know, knowing from experience. And it's like, it's, it's a game that once you start watching, you're locked in and say you are flipping the channel and you catch one point, it's really hard to watch one point and then not want to watch the next point. Yes. Um, and, and I agree. It, it's, it's one of those games that, you are locked in instantly because it is so fast paced. It is so much fun to watch. And it, it's, of course, as we know, because we cover the sport, it's frustrating that people don't get that. Um, but I think that's what it takes is just putting it out there. We've seen the numbers, you know, from the from the championship game, the games that the semifinal games that were on ESPN, no numbers, just ESPN did so well. The championship game on ESPN two did so well. It's like the numbers are there and it's frustrating that, some of these networks don't see that or they do see that, but they don't want to make an effort to do something about it and do it on different days. And if that means changing a schedule around and making sure that some, you know, whatever game is not um, trying, is not coinciding with football, play on a Tuesday, play on a Thursday. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's things that we can do um, schedule wise. And I think all these coaches have been so accommodating of that to try to change around the schedule, try to change around times. I, I know it's a big, 
the conversation at Big Ten Network of trying to piggyback off of football. It's actually, it really does well for ratings. So if we have a Nebraska football game on and we put a Nebraska volleyball game on, those viewers will come and they will stay, yeah. which is so exciting to watch. And I think that's something that we've realized over at BTN, but it's something that I think a lot of other networks can pick up on the fact that, okay, we will not use football to our disadvantage. We're going to use it to our advantage and try to piggyback off of that and get those viewers because we, it, we've seen, it's been proven that they're going to stay. Yeah. Does it need to be a different, uh, this is something else has been brought up. Does the sport need to change where it's at on the calendar? I don't, I don't think so. Like um, I, think, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's tough because say you change it to the spring. I don't think there's not enough infrastructure in place to, to do that. You know, some coaches have kind of called for it, but again, I, I think it's really using football because that's really the only big primetime sport during the fall to our advantage. Whereas if you're doing it in the spring, March, you're going to compete with men's basketball and that's not a good place to be. Um, and other sports, you know, maybe, but you're competing with NBA games and, and it's kind of tough, but I, I think football is easy because it's one day a week for the most part. Yeah. It's Saturday games, you know, and they're going to be don't schedule on Saturdays or schedule after those games on Saturdays. So like you really truly can use football to your advantage if you schedule it right. Okay. Uh, I was looking at uh, a Twitter poll that you put up recently. Um, it <laughs> was, what's that? Condiments. Condiments. You got it. Ketchup, mayo, ranch, or other. You get to pick one for the rest of your life. Um, for me, this is really, really easy. I was surprised that most people said ranch. Uh, there was also an other. But um, for me, it's ketchup. I think ketchup is the number one condiment. It's the most versatile. I mean, mm -hmm. you can do so many different things with it. Mayo, listen, I, I, I don't mind a little bit of mayo like on a nice sandwich. Yeah. You know, you get that sandwich and you toast it and you get and the cheese. Yeah, like you put mayo on a deli sandwich. I people put it on burgers. To me, it's like That's you have weird. a good burger. You shouldn't need mayo to improve it. But ketchup improves everything always. Like so, you voted ketchup. ketchup. Oh, I'm the biggest ketchup stand ever. I would literally drink ketchup. Don't care. Like I love ketchup. I will say for this poll, I didn't. We were. I this was so I was sitting down with a bunch of my. Um, friends and we were talking about it and we kind of like made categories so like we didn't consider hot sauce in the condiments category really we kind of considered it more of a sauce which doesn't make sense because i would also say ketchup's a sauce but like for whatever reason we didn't consider hot sauce in the condiment category and thinking back i really don't know why because i would pick hot sauce over ketchup really um, i yo i put hot sauce i put hot sauce on literally everything except probably dessert like i am i'm spicing up everything um what, what kind of hot sauce are you you consuming i'm curious I mean, it honestly depends depends what it is like in the morning i put sriracha on eggs um I Wait, it's say, not just one there's multiple hot oh, sauce. There's multiple hot, yeah like hot sauce we're, we're going general here um okay. i don't know if i have a favorite i i would say cholula is the most versatile because it's not as spicy um and it fits on a lot more things than like tabasco does because tabasco, tabasco is like a little more spicy i would really only put tabasco on like mexican food um sriracha is also very versatile but i again kind of only use that for asian food mm. cholula like i can pretty much put that on everything or buffalo sauce like a good franks i oh i i, I would drink franks <laughs> that's wow you really love hot sauce i had no love, idea i literally put hot sauce on everything i eat 
I went through a phase there where I liked hot sauce on a lot of different things because it's it it adds a little bit of something different. I yeah. get it. But for me, generally speaking, uh, whether it's hot sauce, whether it's spicy food in particular, mm. I don't understand. Maybe you can explain this. I don't understand the appeal of being uncomfortable. Like if it's too hot, like why? Like if I'm eating something, I want it to taste good and I want to enjoy it. And if it's something that's just causing me like pain mm. or issues, like what's the point of hot things? No, totally agree. I think sometimes I get a little, I wasn't say like trigger happy with hot sauce and like I'll put <laughs> way too much on or make, maybe it'll spill out just a little bit. And like, yeah, it is kind of a bummer because it's like, I do enjoy the flavor of it, but yeah, the spice, like sometimes it's just too much, but that's why sometimes I'll opt for more of the like toned down ones. Like a Cholula, yeah. it's not hot. Like I could actually, like I'm saying, like I could drink it just because I don't think it's that spicy. But like, if mm -hmm. I put too much Tabasco on my Chipotle, it's it's ruined. It's not good. Yeah. Like it's, it's way too much. So I agree. I think growing up too, I, I couldn't handle like any spice at all like I we would go to Thai restaurants and I would be like the mildest mild you could think of like don't even touch one little spice on my dish because I can't eat it yeah. but now I'm like kind of pile it on so I don't know I guess I've changed in that way but when I was little yeah if it was too spicy it's it wasn't good anymore I think you've just killed your taste buds and they have no <laughs> idea and now they're just I'm just kidding I have no idea um all right I got some other questions you only get to pick one um peanut butter or jelly you only get to pick one the rest of your life um so i i eat jelly every morning i make oh. a, i make an english muffin and on one side i put an egg and the other side i put jelly but that's like honestly the only time that i eat jelly um and i feel like peanut butter is a little more versatile and i feel like like peanut butter has true cravings like no one craves jelly so i think that if i had to pick one i'd probably pick peanut butter but only because if I really, really wanted it, I would be really bummed if I didn't have it. Yeah. Whereas jelly, like I can eat a raspberry or straw, like whatever. But peanut butter, like there's no substitute. I'm not going to go eat a peanut. That's not the same thing. No, no, it's not. That's a good point. I would pick peanut butter peanut for butter. sure. Yeah. Um, I like I like the English muffin um, breakfast you have every morning. Throw some oh, cheese oh, on there. Yes. Throw some cheese or, or something oh, else yeah. on there. Yeah, yeah. Scrambled egg. One scrambled egg with a little bit of shredded cheese and yeah, jelly on the other side. So I get, I kind of like alternate bites. So I get like a salt, a salt bite and a sweet bite. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. Um, all right. One, the rest of your life, uh, pizza or burgers? Pizza. I love wow. pizza. That was really, really quick. I love burgers too. Don't get me wrong, but like pizza is such an amazing delicacy, even if it's cheap. I I love pizza, like late night pizza, breakfast pizza, forever. I yeah. love pizza. And my my nine year old daughter does this, and I I applaud her for this. Like the pizza out of the refrigerator the next morning, mm. like like mm. don't warm don't warm it up. She won't, she doesn't want it warm. I'm I'm genuinely scared of people that eat cold pizza. I think it's really <laughs> it's really psychotic and it really scares me. Sometimes my boyfriend will I it like it genuinely scares me. That's like, my nine-year-old daughter you're talking about. I'm so so sorry. I'm sure she's a beautiful <laughs> young girl. But when you grab pizza, a slice of pizza out of the fridge and just take a bite, I think it's the you know when cheese has been cooked and then is cooled, like it just yeah. gets a little plasticky. Like I think that for me, it's not the bread factor like i would eat bread in any condition but the cheese part of it like it just it tastes different it's it it's wrong it's wrong it's wrong no i think that's what i think that's what makes the cold pizza great 
is that you get a different cheese and you're just I mean, eating. Like it's, it's plastic. It, it's like, it's all stuck together, but not in like a cheesy pull way. And like, I'm going to break. And it's like the, the grains are off the cheese. grains. <laughs> the cheese grains are off. Oh man. I know what you're saying. I know exactly what you're saying, but I guess my point is that's what I think I love about it is the cheese. The, the thing that you hate the most about it is the thing yeah. I think that's the best about it. I, I love pizza and it's like, why not just, just pop it in the, in the oven or pop it in a, I always heat it up on a little skillet. Like why not just pop it in there for five minutes and mm. give it a little something instead of just the, the psycho move. Well, I don't, if you're going to heat it up, here's what I'd like to do. You have like a toaster oven. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I got I got to go that way. Otherwise yeah. the microwave just gets a limp. Oh pizza. no, I, I never microwave. I, I put it on like a little skillet and then you cover it. And so oh, the bottom, yeah. bottom gets crispy and then the cheese melts. Oh, that's the way that maybe I should just start doing it like that. I don't know what you're into beverage wise. So I couldn't think of a good, like this or that for beverages. Coffee over tea. Okay. Okay. Coffee um, or tea. Um, coffee or you only get one the rest of your life. Coffee or wine. Are you a wine person? I don't yeah, know. I'm a big wine, big wine gal. Um, there you go. I um, and have wine anymore if you choose that coffee that's in your hands. I know, but then it's like if I'm trying to think of what would be worse if I couldn't have, and I feel like there's alternatives for wine. Like I could, hmm. I could, I could drink a beer, or I could drink a cocktail. Like I might not be as happy about it, but there's actually no substitute for coffee. Cause that would yeah. be tea, but it doesn't, it's not the same. Like it right, just right. gets there different. Is. So I think I would have to choose coffee because I have it every day. And if I didn't, yeah. Also, I don't have wine every day. Like I have coffee every day and I kind of need it. Yeah. I also just love the taste. Like that first sip of coffee in the morning, you know, when people talk about like some of the happiest things you're doing, whether that's like journaling or meditating, like my first sip of coffee, that's my meditation. Like I love that first sip. And if I don't have that first sip, that's gonna not gonna ruin my day, but it's not gonna be the best day. And if I that know. first sip is tea, I like tea, but that's not that's not gonna do it for me. So I think I think I'm choosing coffee over wine, which I wouldn't be happy about, but I would be more happy about than wine. Right. Now what you said about coffee, I think is really interesting because that first sip of coffee is amazing. Now, if you drink the coffee for the caffeine factor, I don't know if you do or not. For me, it, I don't know. I feel like caffeine sometimes affects me. And sometimes mm -hmm. I'm like, did this even have caffeine in it? Yeah. Um, the same way. If I, if I have coffee before I eat in the morning, I feel like the energizer bunny and I'm going crazy. Yeah. But if I eat, then I'm totally fine. And I'm like, eh, this didn't do anything. So yeah. I don't drink it for the caffeine factor. I genuinely like the taste of coffee. I've, I've been drinking coffee since I was like nine. Um, so like, I, I really do like the taste. But yeah, the caffeine factor, like I try not to drink coffee after 1 p.m. because I don't know yeah. what it's going to do to me. It's yeah. not, gonna it's, it's me, not but... good for your sleep patterns, they say. Yeah, that's, that's what they that's say. They say, you know, yeah. that. <laughs> they, they Them say. we always refer to, they said this, you know. Heard um, that. But I will say this, though, for coffee. I, I did an experiment once where I just had uh, two weeks of no uh, decaf coffee, basically. I went to decaf. I heard about this. And it was... I didn't miss coffee at all. Normal coffee, really? caffeinated, like you, cause you talked about that first sip and yeah. what I felt was, well, decaf coffee tastes the ex exact same to me, exact yeah. same. So if you're into coffee because of the ritual, the taste, the smell, um, and you want to avoid the caffeine, dude, I I'm telling you, decaf coffee is not, not bad if you want to avoid yeah. the caffeine. 
That's probably smart. I, yeah, like I drink, it's pretty much just cold brew every morning. Like I get it in a bottle um, or I'll go to Starbucks. And like, that's a very easy switch if I'm going to Starbucks to get a decaf something, something. I will say I love the taste of cold brew over iced coffee. And I definitely prefer iced coffee to hot coffee. So like, I don't think there's a way to do decaf cold brew. Um, but I also get espresso a lot and like that can totally be made decaf. And I think that that would probably be a good switch that I should maybe think about making. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I'm glad we covered the coffee because that's, although you gotta be like, I look at an espresso as like, that's my energy shot. Like I view, like if I'm doing espresso, I'm like, that thing better be jam packed with caffeine. See, I, I like it. Like I think espresso tastes better than normal coffee. Like right now I have, this is three shots of espresso, 2% yeah. milk and a little bit of sweet cream. Okay. And like, I just, I think the taste of espresso is better than the taste of coffee. Like it just hits a little bit different little bit stronger but smoother um which i like like i really do like the taste of coffee yeah no i hear you i i, I definitely hear you and uh you gotta try oat milk by the way in your coffee i'm big i do I, I used to do oat milk and then i don't even know what happened i think it got expensive and then i was like i'm out <laughs> <laughs> that's probably it it just i love that it just changes the flavor of the coffee totally. more so than the milk like yeah. it gives it a little extra something i'm like Ooh. yeah yeah a little edge a little edge <laughs> something like that all right emily um, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thanks for talking uh, about volleyball and, and everything you've done to with the Big Ten Network and, and the digital studios. Good luck with that. Um, by the way, I did also want to mention that I love the, uh, I think you were on Instagram interviewing players with the sad face uh, filter. <laughs> that makes you look sorry, sad. I thought about that one. <laughs> That's hilarious. You're like, I forgot what question exactly you were asking, but they're answering like a, a question normally and it looks like they're about to cry because <laughs> of the yeah, so, so Keegan Murray, who's about to be a top five pick, went to Iowa, staying out for two years. We, he was, he came into the studio to do an interview on Big Ten today and we brought him to the digital studio to do some more like fun segments. And we were like, this would be really funny if we like kind of tricked him, which I felt bad about after, but he was a nice guy. He was like, <laughs> I was like, he's about to be making millions. He's good. Um, so we're like, all right, this new Snapchat filter, it makes it look like you're crying. Let's ask him like a really emotional question and have him answer it like in a positive way. Cause we knew he would, but then it's yeah. going to be like the crying face, which looks like weirdly realistic. Like some people, I got a few DMS of people being like, why would you film him when he's crying? <laughs> no, like you're kidding me. And to be fair, it was like 50 year old women. So it's like, okay, calm down. You don't know what Snapchat is. It's fine. But oh, you know, awesome. I mean, the things that you can do now, and that's why digital is fun. It's like, there's always fun things you can do and um, fun filters to try. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's a blast. And he, he honestly thought it was really funny and it, it did well on social. So that's all that matters. Yeah. It's hilarious. And you're right. It's so weird how realistic it is. It yeah. kind of scares me like 10 years from now, what, like, I'm not even gonna know what people look like because <laughs> I'm just going to see them on the phone and be like, that's, is that you? I you mean, you open I mean? Instagram right now and half people don't look like what they actually look like. So it's, uh, we're, we're on a slippery slope of filters and edits. And it's going to get better and better and better as, as the years go along. It's so bad. Um, but it was still funny. It was very funny. Yeah. I like that. Um, <laughs> all right, Emily, thank you so much for the time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to come up and hopefully get a few Badger games in this year. Yeah, and some Ian's Pizza. And some Ian's Pizza. Yeah, all right. There you go. Thank you. That's uh, Emily Eman of the uh, Big Ten Network. Thank you uh, to Emily for joining the podcast. And a reminder, me and Julio, place to go check out uh, for margaritas. Uh, in Madison, me and Julio, they got the Tuesday and Thursday specials, uh, $4 margaritas. Uh, I get the bang, bang tacos. 
There's chicken and shrimp. You should check it out. Ian's Pizza, three locations in Madison. Classic mac and cheese. Look out for our next promotion. Uh, AmFam tickets this week. Retweet uh, the tweet at John Adios Radio, uh, and you can win a pair of tickets. I'll be giving away tickets leading up to the AmFam Championship at University Ridge, June 10th through the 12th. All right, that's the podcast. Thank you once again for listening to the JohnCast podcast. See ya.